that in, I have to be reminded every time. Although I do appreciate it. I like this way because I can tell when you're um, blowing your nose <laughs> and not just ignoring me. <laughs> there are benefits. <laughs> I would say things and I'd be like, this is going to get a reaction. <laughs> and they would just be silence. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's background noise that I'm trying to, you know, sirens and the like that I'm trying to shield everyone from, but <laughs> you let the cat out of the bag on that one. I was amazed at how much you did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, talking NGE takes a lot out of me. Gets the mucus going. It does. It does. It's like tang in there. God. <laughs> mm. Oh, what are you drinking? Tea? Nope. Good old hot bean water. Yeah? Nice. Yep. Got to caffeinate. Yeah, I'm going to need something for sure, especially after talking with you. <laughs> All right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to season two. That was my celebration noise. Here we go. Season two, episode one of season two, which I have just affectionately called episode exegesis. Ooh. Just mostly because it sounds cool, but yeah. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, just like before, she's consistent, the affable Allison. Ooh. Happy season two, everybody. Welcome back. Yeah. Well, if you're wondering, what are we talking about today? <laughs> Hopefully this episode will answer all the questions that you still have following End of Evangelion. And I hope that the week that you had off uh, before has given you some time to recover and, you know, get your mood back up. Um, yeah. I happen to know someone who was... Speechless, perhaps, after viewing it. So, but man, it's, what a it's masterpiece! A, yeah, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in, and there's there's a couple times I think where you have to like stop and say, "Wait a minute, did I just see? What am I seeing here? What, what's happening here?" And I had to do it a couple of times throughout the course of the watch. But yeah, like you said, I think I think today's episode is kind of like. Um, you know, just helping everyone to put the pieces together because I feel like there was a lot of pieces left that maybe we can help to, even though a lot of it could be pure speculation and just kind of like our opinions, there is some fact here because, you know, that's our full impact promise is to give you the full facts. So it's kind of a mixture of facts and, and our opinion. Yeah. Very good opinions. <laughs> Educated opinions. <laughs> Solid, well-founded opinions. All right. Well, do we want to get started with some softball questions? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I think one of the things, and maybe this is just me because I'm, you know, but let's let's talk about like uh, why the angels are attacking. Why do you why do you think why? What do you think their purpose is? Um. Well, that. That question um, leads to a very long, very long answer. Okay. Um, so I guess it wasn't a softball after all. What most of my, <laughs> it's what most of my notes are are about. 
largely. Um, so let me find it here and make sure that I'm getting in the right spot. So I'll go into this. We'll go into it right now. Let's just do a deep dive right in the beginning. Why not? Ride All right. the wave. All right, let's start off. <clears throat> concept, concept here. Concept called the first ancestral race. A race of intelligent beings living on a unknown world within the Milky Way galaxy some 4.6 billion years ago. Fallen? Cool. I'm, I'm with you. Four billion years ago. Uh, for reasons unknown, their world faced imminent danger, and so they sought to save their species uh, elsewhere. In order to do so, they made seven progenitor beings called Seeds of Life. Um, and each within them was uh, were their, like, their collective souls of the, the whole species uh, divvied up in this in these seven seeds of life um, so each seed of life came with a carrier vessel or a moon a spear of Longinus and a hot off the press copy of the Dead Sea Scrolls <laughs> Fresh ink and everything. Yep. So they designed their plan. They were going to send these seeds of life to other planets, and then they would progenate and, uh, you know, prosper and whatnot. Uh, but they designed their their seeds of life. Um, and they had each one. They could choose what their progeny would. Um, have they could have fruit of knowledge or the fruit of life and I'll get into what those mean later but they made it so that two planets couldn't have two seeds so they can't can't, you can't have one without the other yeah so if two seeds landed on the same planet that wouldn't work Um, so they made contingency contingency plans in case that happened alright got it so after they made these plans, put all their souls into the seeds, into the seven chambers of guff, and bring up that thing in, the chamber of souls or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. so that they can be reincarnated at a later time. All right? Got it. So the spear of Longinus that was placed in each of them, and you see the life, was the contingency plan that I talked about. So that if a seed pops up on one planet and then another one pops up, one of them would have to go dormant so that the other one can prosper because it can't do both at once. Um, And what the spear does is when that would happen, the spear would um, activate and put the seed that's not going to activate into dormancy so that nothing would happen with it. So essentially what happened with Earth was it was a fuck up. On their plan. So much for the contingency. Yep. Um, so that's where, you know, you can see we'll probably lead into other things. But while I'm at it here, 
Um, if you're still wondering what the Dead Sea Scrolls are, there's not a whole lot of info about them. But they're basically a manual for how the seeds of life worked, as well as the spears. And I had predictions for the future, like what would happen in the future after the seeds, um, you know, did their thing. And these are what the um, what Zila used to, you know, craft their their plans around. It was like their their scripts. Their manual. Yep. Did no. it also does does it give any indication as to where angels will attack? Like pre knowledge of that? No. Okay. It doesn't. Okay. Nope. So that's great. Okay. Now, if you're listening to this and you're wondering where did I get this from, is this <laughs> canon? This whole thing, whether or not it's canon, is somewhat debatable, depending on who you ask. There's no direct mention of this in the series um, outright. There's some very minor hints at it. Um, the two main mentions come from, one, a little pamphlet book called The Neon Genesis Proposal. It was a 35-page full-color document created in 1993 for promotional purposes as a prototype for the show. So oh, it was wow. before, before the show was um, aired. Back when pamphlets were a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the second mention comes from Neon Genesis Evangelion 2, which was a video game for PlayStation 2 and PlayStation Portable. What? Yeah, which the production of was heavily influenced by interviews with the creator of uh, Evangelion, Hideaki Anno, and other staff. And wow. so there's a little, uh, there's like f- classified files or something like that at the end among some other things that talk about this stuff more in depth. So if you want to go say that, you know, that's word, then that's it. And if not, then it's not. I like it because it adds a little bit of depth to everything but yeah but i suppose just like anything part of what's great about art and you know television movies whatever is that you can really interpret it however you want to and you know to shape what you think and it, some some of this is open for interpretation other stuff is pretty straightforward but i think like anything you want to be able to form your own connection to what the material is. And I think so whether or not it's, you know, <laughs> the right information, if it helps you sleep at night, I say, go for it. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, like I said, it's not, you're never going to get any mention specifically in the show, but these two mentions aren't completely out of left field. Um, right. You know, they are rooted in uh, the production of the show. Uh, by the way, all of this so up up until this point has been from my favorite website, Ava Geeks. <laughs> so shout out. Because we are, after all, Ava Geeks. <laughs> yes. All right. So now let's get into kind of we're starting to get into the question you asked now that I've set the, the groundwork here. OK. Appreciate so, that. The being in one of the seeds of life, Adam, who we're all familiar with, crashed into the earth about four billion years ago his white moon crashed and before he could progenate and you know get busy lilith also violently crashed into earth as well um creating debris destroying the spear that was with her 
and then the debris that um, broke off from Earth um, formed together and became our moon. And this is what we would call the first impact. Okay. Uh, so way, way, way back when. So right then, because her spear, Lilith's spear was broken, Adams activated, and he was put into a dormant state. And then Lilith made humans, you know, really start LCL as the primordial soup that we know. Mm-hmm. Life evolved into what we know it is today. Okay. All right. So the angels thing that we can talk about here is where we get into stuff that's in the show, like the Katsuragi expedition. Mm. So what happened there was they obviously went into Antarctica. They found Adam's um, white moon. They removed the spear. And that's where everything went wrong. So now Adams, you know, he kind of blew up, released his offspring, and those are the angels that we know of. Ah, okay. And so if you're wondering, you know, the question was, what, why are they attacking, right? Mm-hmm. 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 So there was direct mention of this in the uh, that video game I talked about, um, NGE2. And it says, quote, Some of them were trying to access Lilith and reset all life. Some of them had nothing in mind, and some were trying to recover their progenitor, Adam. So those are their, their motives for why they're attacking. Some of them are smart, and some of them are dumb, apparently. And some of them just don't care. <laughs> Uh, kind of like people, I guess. Um, so I guess that answer, that's a, a solid answer to the question. So much like we were talking about as far as like what it is and what you could interpret it to be, I guess the more initially kind of when I first watched the show, I thought without knowing knowing where it was going, I kind of looked at the angels almost like natural disasters that happen. Like it's something to, to connect you know, something that I can physically understand to the show. And I thought, like, all these things that are happening and all this destruction that comes on and, and all the work that's being done to try to prevent it, it just kind of made me think of when those things happen on Earth. You know, we have hurricanes and, and earthquakes and those kind of things that disrupt our lives and that cause huge damage that we as humans don't have so much control over. Um, so that was, I mean, not that that's has really that much to do with things, but like just as a kind of metaphor for, I thought why they might be is just, you know, kind of testing humanity and showing them that there is a greater force outside of them. Um, but I mean, obviously as we went on in the show, things took a turn, (laughs) but (laughs) I guess like, Initial thoughts, you know, for those of our listeners that may be watching this for the first time, like, I don't know if you if you see that connection or, or if you thought of that, too. But again, just like these these greater forces than than we're used to that are devastating us and have a huge impact on our lives and our environment. And even on a, a small level, I mean, look at these kids in this school and, you know, their experience like so I don't know. I, I that's kind of my interpretation of why they attack. And I guess, like I said, you could you could 
come up with your own reason too i suppose that's uh, art but yeah if you're going off of the classified files in the game that's why they're attacking and it makes sense because you know we have uh we have the one that attacks on the ocean uh gagiel you know when we had adam in embryo state with kaji right um, and then you know all that most most of them are obviously seem to be after Lilith or they're either after Lilith or what they think is Adam, but I suppose it depends on the interpretation that you're you're taking for them. And then there's other ones that like they like they were attacking, but they're so like just like moseying about <laughs> to, to <laughs> doing it. <laughs> they're just like making their way slowly, <laughs> like the. Uh, the seventh one, Istrafel, that splits into two. Right. And he's just, like, chilling. <laughs> he's just, like, walking. Like, he didn't even seem like he knew what was going on around him. <laughs> I guess we know what category he fits in as far as the angel spectrum of intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, and there were some that were, like, super stealth. Like, uh, the one that comes up from the grounds, the black blob. Yeah. Um, like, you know, you, d- you don't see that coming. So that takes some smarts and some work to figure that out. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure I'm sure one of the questions that someone has at least asked is, you know, if we're all from Lilith, why do we all look essentially the same? Whereas the angels look radically different and have different abilities, even though they all come from Adam. Yeah, but I, I suppose on a... That's somewhat true for humanity, too. I mean, yes, we're all, like, chemically made up the same, but we're not all the same, right? No, but, I mean, I don't know anyone that can fly (laughs) or anyone that can suck someone into a sea of Dirac or split into two. Maybe not on that level, but you have professional athletes, you have you know, politicians, you have people that like, you know, have a specific skill set. <laughs> I mean, certainly it's not to the degree that these are, but I guess if you think about it, there are some human beings that are, you know, that are brilliant or are physically capable. So, you know, they may not be able to split in two, but, you know. Also, they, they all work alone. You know, we never see two of them at the same time. That so is true. One at a time. That is true. I feel uh, I, and I don't know. I don't know which is worse. Like, which is more menacing? <laughs> Just one thing that can destroy you or many things that can destroy you? But what's what's interesting with this this little question here is the um, the seeds of life that I mentioned earlier. They can decide, and I, I don't know how many different kinds there are, but they can determine what kind of fruits they give their offspring. Right, you you had mentioned that before. There's the uh, fruit of knowledge and the fruit of life, correct? Right, those are the two that we deal with. Um, Lilith and all the Lilin, they got the fruit of knowledge. That's us. And then all the angels have the fruit of life from Adam. And uh, one of the things associated with the fruit of life is the S2 engine, their core inside them. Um. Other things with the fruit of life is that they get incredible psychokinetic power and the ability to decide their physical form. So that explains why they're all different. Right, and they're also specific to the environment that they're entering. Like, we had the... Um, 
the weird aquatic one on the on the boats. We had um, you know the one that split in two that forced them to work together. So th- there were a lot of like specifics to how they entered the scene. Um, so that would make sense that they kind of targeted their development. Indeed. Now, so why, do, why do you, I guess, because this actually led into one of my questions, because I was going to ask about the seeds of life. Um, so why do you think it's it's knowledge and life? Like, why do you think they picked the, I mean, obviously life, but knowledge? Um, I think it's a subtle nod to, like, I always think of, like, the apple on the tree in Eden. Um, like those with the fruit of knowledge, they're they're mortal, like such as we are. They have a fixed form, and they rely on uh, collective existence um, for their strength. You know, and then we build civilizations, and we, you know, advance technology and whatnot. Um, I think that like those with the seed of life are meant to be like almost in my mind are like pure. And those with the seeds of knowledge are tainted in that they, you know, like with the apple, like they just have to try it because they want to know what it's like. Whereas seeds of life would just like, they don't think about those things. They just live their life. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Um, I kind of equate it to the difference between humans and any other species is that we are able to absorb knowledge and use that knowledge to advance ourselves. You know, Um, we all need life. Obviously we need to exist in some form, but it's, I think on the flip side of that, it's knowledge that helps us to move forward. Like, yeah, with the whole Apple thing and that, that bitch Eve making everything terrible for everyone. But on the other hand, it did create your ability to choose. And I think that was one of the themes throughout this is, you know, especially like with Shinji, his, his choosing to be a pilot, like the, the, the choice of not wanting to kill something. There's always, you always have a choice. And I think that's what the fruit situation was supposed to, you know, kind of illuminate. But I look at it more like there's other factors that make up, you know, a being. And I think that life and knowledge might be just two things, but it's what sets us as humanity apart from any other species is that our knowledge helps us to move forward. Yeah. And I mean, I, to, you know, I agree with you to a certain extent. And I, I really like the comparison of humans to animals by, you know, to go back to the seed of life. I feel like this, those were the seed of life. The purpose is just to live. To survive, right. Um, but those were the seed of knowledge is the pursuit of knowledge, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that one's better than the other. In fact, you know, I, sure, those with the seeds of life might not ask the universe's questions, but those with the seed of, or the fruit of knowledge will destroy something in order to understand it. And then it ceases to be what it was just for the sake of knowledge. Tomato, tomato. (laughs) But one thing that is clear is that the combination of the two is forbidden. Yes. Because if you had the fruit of life and the fruit of knowledge, you're basically a god. So, and that's obviously what happened with 
uh, unit one. Right. Oops. Oops. We did it again. <laughs> um. Okay, moving right along. Um, if you're cool with that, um, let's uh, let's talk organizations and sinister peeps that we've encountered. Sure. So I think one of the things we might want to refresh ourselves on too would be um, let's let's talk about nerve for a while because it's nerve. obviously our main focus. Um, yeah, where we spend most of our time. Um, I guess what is nerve in on the books, and then we can talk about what it means to us. <laughs> okay, so nerve. Let's see. Let me find it here. So Gehirn, which we um, um, obviously learned about, is what eventually turns into nerve following the death of uh, Ritsuko's mother um so in 2010 it doesn't say what day gehirn is disbanded and nerf is founded on the same day so that's 2010 uh nerf is was created by zila as an organization uh in preparation for the angels in their uh subsequent attacks later on okay um and obviously, because of Nerf, you know, we were able to develop the Evangelions to protect us. Right. And also, they moved into their headquarters of Tokyo 3, which is where we spend a majority of our time, correct? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, it's, I, you said Tokyo 3, and I got thrown off for a second because there's a Japanese restaurant down the street called tokyo 2 oh get out of town <laughs> and it, it it trips me up every time <laughs> like the 1975 mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> trying to see where it says um when like they make Nerf headquarters for Cahirns. It's probably, it's fairly soon after that, because that happens in 2010, right? Yeah, so, but I think they just, they were already at, they were already there before Nerf became Nerf. They just, got it. So, the construction of Tokyo 2 following the destruction of regular Tokyo began in 2001. And then the construction of Tokyo 3 begins in 2005. You're not telling me. Some baloney. (laughs) What I'm hearing here. Faulty material. But but Nerve also one of the things that sets them apart too is the Magi, correct? Yeah, because obviously the Magi were like completed ish when Ritsuko's mom died. All she basically had to do, you know, very uh, loosely put, is press the on button. Yeah, activator. Yeah, I mean, I think there were some some 
other things afterwards that Ritsuko took up, just some finishing touches, but basically everything was all ready and set to go mm-hmm. and before her her death. Because we also talked about, and I believe that this was brought up uh, before too, was that um, some of NERV's funding comes from the UN, because we see them swoop in a couple times during the Angel attacks, um, most notably during the Asuka, I believe it's Asuka's first solo mission. Um, so, and but there's questions about where uh, Gloves is getting his funding, but NERV partially gets some of its cash from the UN. Yeah, so the United Nations, obviously, is the world's leaders. All the allied nations uh, submitted their military forces to the UN's leadership, resulting in the UN forces. Um, And since NERF was established as the leading authority on the war against the Angels, the UN forces basically strong-armed them into, or or were strong-armed into a support role, and NERF became their their main go-to. Right, and if you'll recall, our girl Miss M, you know, had a couple run-ins with the good old boys at the UN. <laughs> oh, yes. And had to take some control, but, you know. Yeah, because they couldn't do jack squat. Yep. Surprise, surprise. So they're uh, almost kind of like rebelish, like a like a rebel organization there, would you say? or Or would you say that... They are... (sighs) Zila is tricky because Zila is basically a puppet master and their puppet is the UN. And then the UN's puppet is Nerf. But really, they're all Zila's puppets. Right, which was an excellent segue into my next question, which let's talk about Zila a little bit. This dark society that all hangs out in the Rubik's Cube room. Yeah, they there is not much on them. We don't know when they're founded. Um, they're pretty secretive. You can almost think of them as like an Illuminati type. Yeah, that was, that was kind of going to be my comparison as well. Basically, this is what it has um, in my, my chronicle here, um, which is also where I got uh, most of the information I just said. Um, Zila is a secret international organization that aims to bring the Human Instrumentality Project to fruition. Uh, the Human Instrumentality Committee was an advisory body to the UN and Zila. Uh, went through committee to control NERF's activities. With the completion of the Human Instrumentality Project as their main objective, Zila kept a very close eye on the actions of Gendo Okari, who was in charge of pushing the project forward using the resources available at NERF. So I'm assuming, you know, this is just wild speculation here, that this Illuminati-type organization uh, investigated the events in Antarctica or, you know, thought that there might be something in Antarctica-funded expeditions and trips down there to see what was up. That's when they got, uh, you know, Adam, they got the spear, they got the Dead Sea Scrolls, and that's when they started to hatch their plan. And they had the money to do it. So your typical (laughs) menacing, dark society. (laughs) Yeah. And they have really cool decor. They love the Rubik's Cube room. They do. They represent primary colors everywhere. And I like their monoliths. Yeah, that's when they're hiding from everybody. (laughs) 
Yeah, they seem like a very sneaky bunch. Um, and it, it always, it, you can see the, um, the conflict between the two organizations, I guess, which would lead me to my next question, if you're up for it. Um, what's Gendo's deal? <laughs> like, what's his problem? Like- <laughs> <laughs> I know that was an awfully broad question to to ask. Um, I mean, as we've talked about at nauseum, is that you know he's never going to win Dad of the Year, you know, for his performance. But is there anything? And I know a lot of people have had strong opinions about this, but I think is there anything redeeming about Gendo? Is there anything about what he's done that could be? seen as something positive um i mean if someone put a gun to your head <laughs> i'm sure you could pull something out okay but it would it, you want to be able to pull something up there's only one thing you could pull out really it's just his and i'm sure i'll get scrutiny for this his dedication to getting back with yui and being willing to fuck over everyone in his path to get there Right. And I guess that was kind of what I was getting at. And I and I know we both will probably get a lot of heat for this. And and again, I'm not saying that, you know, he was the greatest of all characters and, and by by no means was he. However, I think, you know, in any other situation, you know, any rom-com that you watch, you, you know, any dude that's willing to do all of that thing, all of those things for the woman that he loves, who he's been separated from, we would celebrate it. But with this guy, I mean, clearly it's not the best way to go about it, but his motivation is true love, right? And it, as we know from The Princess Bride, <laughs> there's no more noble a cause. So I think that although he is pretty heinous and the the construct under which he's working is is not perfect i think if you think about it he's really just being motivated by his sadness and his longing for the only person he seemed to ever really love and i think that's kind of sad and sweet almost for a guy who's just not a good guy but i mean we don't have a lot of information on what he was like before she died i'm obviously he was still you know kind of a a creep but I wonder if he wasn't a little bit better before um, everything went down. Um, oh my gosh, well, I just lost my train of thought <laughs> about Gendo. Gosh darn it. <laughs> Was it going to be something good or bad? Um, well, it's just that, you know, I don't think... <laughs> I do think that he truly loves Yui. I mean, I mean, can you love someone and also use them? To get to a better place? Sure. Yep. Two birds with one stone, you know? (laughs) And I think, too, that, like, it wasn't all just Gendo. I mean, like, when we did see Yui, like, she was just as driven and motivated as he was. And she was a pure scientist. And she believed in what they were doing and was willing to go to the lengths that she went to to see it through. So, I mean, if you're going to throw stones at Gendo, and I, again, I'm sure I'll get some backlash for this, but they, they were both dedicated. And why should it be that just, you know, even though... 
she was more nurturing to Shinji. I think that was one of the big differences, but that's just sometimes a fact. And that's why they work together. (laughs) Them be the facts. I mean, you can't pick your parents, but, you know, at least one of them was, was somewhat nurturing. Unfortunately, that one ended up, you know, passing a little bit too soon and Gendo couldn't pick up the slack, but some people just aren't that way. And I don't think obviously he's not. And that was part of the reason. Yeah, and I I mean I I'd like to think that he you we probably definitely saw a side of him that we never saw. Um I don't I mean this again I'm just speculating. I feel like he's he never wanted a child, but you desperately wanted to be a mother. Um and so I obviously after she died, I think he was um broken. I think yep. that he and whether he was right or not, I don't know, but he obviously felt that given his uh, temperament and general personality, he would not be suitable to raise a child. And so he gave no. Shinji away to the teacher that he stays with um, so that he can advance the project that he proposed to Zila in order to eventually get back with Yui. I mean, that's those are facts. Um, and I'll wrap it up on this because I, I don't want to give this guy too much credit but um i think one of the lessons that i took away from him too is that like you don't stop loving them just because they die or their physical form is gone that that love is always there so if there's a possibility that you could ever be reunited and in the way that you remember and that you're in your physical form that i think anybody who's loved anybody would would do just about anything they could to have that happen. So that's why I'm cutting them a little slack. And, you know, I think that cemetery scene, that one really got me. And I think there was some, something down there, some nugget of there had to be, because you can't love someone if, you know, you're not capable. And I think he was, he just went about it in a poor way. So, yeah. And, you know, with the, him getting rid of all the pictures of Yui and whatnot, I mean, I think that was largely because to cover his tracks so that people wouldn't see the comparison between Yui and Ray and get on his case before he could do what he wanted to do. Yep. And he didn't need the pictures because he had what was important with him already. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, we'll close the book on gloves for right now. Um, uh, You got room for another question? I might be able to squeeze it in. All right. Um, here's here's one. So uh, one of the adults, let's talk about the kids. Um, why do you suspo- suppose, suppose um, the pilots are children? That is a good one. I have looked up information about this before and have come up pretty much empty-handed. I'm going to put it up to um, mostly just... Um, artistic freedom Um, you know 14 is you're either in the middle of or on the cusp of since um, you're smart enough to obviously think for yourself and have personality you're really just beginning to go into who you are Um, as for why the age I really couldn't say um, I don't know. It's not like we have some bond with our mother that all of a sudden blossoms when we turn 14. <laughs> so I don't think that that 
was it, but it's clear that there's some reason that it has to be them. And we don't stay with the show long enough to see what happens when they get older. So, um, and this is something that comes up um, with a little bit more... It gives a little bit more to look upon, but doesn't give any more answers when we get into the rebuild movies. Um, but as for the show, I don't think there's really anything sturdy to stand on. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, when uh, I guess after everything we've learned, here's here's how I would break it down. I think I don't know that the actual specific age is important, but I think that the age range that that is is important because, like you said. It is it is your blossoming adolescence and it's kind of that conflict between being on your own and thinking for yourself and having your own identity versus relying on your parents for their, you know, guidance and support. And sometimes when you're that age, you don't see your parents that way. You see them more of a Gendo character and it's harder to let them, you know, help you through these times because you just assume they don't understand. And I, and so I think by implanting the mother's souls in these Avas, it gave these kids a way to feel protected, but still be able to be themselves outwardly in these in these avas so it's like they talked about that the ava is just the you know the armor and so that's kind of what it's like like these parents even though they weren't physically there they're there protecting their kids and their kids can have their influence without any real conflict it's just they just know it's there they sync with them that's just you know what parents and kids have that connection so that's kind of my thought on why it, they have to be kids um but again like you said in my research i didn't find a whole lot of answers but also that's, with that's my children psychosis they're they're moldable right yes yes into what you need them to be yep yep totally and their motivations are easy to manipulate and care to word you got another one i got another one um let's talk about ray um ray (laughs) i knew you would be excited for this one (laughs) um okay what does ray mean to you what does ray mean to me (laughs) is that is that the question that's the question yes ray she to me is the embodiment of someone who is pondering both like philosophy and genuinely trying to figure out who they are as a person. And I she gets so much hate because she's so cold and um you know she doesn't have she's not very expressive and you know especially in comparison to Asuka but what I love is that her lack of emotion isn't because she um doesn't have emotions but rather she has was never brought up or like never socialized with people in order to learn how to express or identify emotions up until she's thrown into 
uh, you know, the school that all the kids go to. And at that point, you know, she's just pilot of unit zero, you know, and her whole life is just Gendo. And obviously, if you're raised by Gendo, you're not going (laughs) to you're not going (laughs) to be very colorful. Yeah. Christmas isn't going to be real fun around the Akari house, I wouldn't imagine. Um, and she's also the one she her arc is from episode one to episode 26. Like that's the start and end of it from when we first see her, you know, being wheeled up in her <laughs> thingamabob. What are those called? Gurney. Gurney. Bandaged, ready to hop into the Ava, even though she's all bandaged. Hashtag bandage, babe. Um, <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> and to episode 26, when she flat out rejects Gendo and cuts off his arm like a boss and is like, I'm going to do what I want, peace, and then floats off. You know, that's that was, I mean, obviously she had people in her in her life that influenced her, like Shinji, but like that was, I feel like a large part of her arc is of her own volition and her own doing. And uh, I admire that. Um, I guess what Ray means to me is, um, I think it's, it's kind of hopeful in a way, um, albeit she's troubled and very apathetic in the beginning, uh, she evolves and, and she learns from her environment and she, it's like you said, she, it wasn't that she didn't have these emotions. It was just, she never had the opportunity to learn the skills about how to interact with other people and how to be social. And, you know, many people can identify with that. I mean, you don't have to grow up with Gendo to feel, you know, troubled about, you know, relationships with other people. Um, But I think it's, it shows that there is hope for people to, you know, if they let people into their lives, if they let them help them, if they have an influence on them, that it can develop you into a better not necessarily better, but a, a more well-rounded human being that, that, that it's not just about you self, but it's also about the influence of other people on your life. And I think that that helped to develop, right. And I mean, aesthetically, she's a boss. She's got it going on. She does. And the savagery (laughs) that sweet baby Ray wheels is just, I mean, of all the baby <laughs> pilots, I mean, she is by far. I, although Asuka <laughs> is a close, to, I, she is just adorbs. I mean, oh yeah. Even even when <laughs> with the old hag comment, <laughs> I still I still thought she was awesome. What about farewell? <laughs> yeah. Leaves the room. <laughs> farewell. <laughs> like a boss. Uh, okay. I think we like covered as much as we're going to with that. Uh, you got another one? Got got room for another one? Uh, barely. <laughs> All right. Um. So Kauru, right? Mm-hmm. Kauru, uh, aka Casanova. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that even though he shows up in only one episode. I think he makes quite an impact on the show. Um, 
how would you describe his impact on the show, I guess? He has... The impact that he has in the short time he's around is ridiculous. Especially within, I think, the fandom itself. Like, he is obsessed over. And he he comes in, guns a and leaves guns a pretty much. Yeah. Um, he, and he had so much, it's like, he had so much mystery, and he's essentially, he, he's very close to Ray in every way, except for his personality is just so much more developed. Um, and I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's almost like, so, <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but so Kaoru is from a combination of human DNA and the seed of life of Adam, correct? Yes. So okay. I don't know if it was through a contact experiment between those at the Katsuragi expedition and Adam or um, one of the the angel that would become Kaoru saw the humans and was like, that's a cool look. I'm going to take that. Um, but he took the form of a human, obviously out of his own choice. And, you know, he's, he's, he's unlike any of the other angels and that his, his, uh, intentions are not, bad or right. evil right um i guess uh, my take is that he's kind of you know the antithesis of ray and that he is interested in the human condition and he's engaged in things like i think he mentions like he's either whistling or humming or singing something when we first see him just chilling up on that little rock there and yeah, uh... you know Beethoven's ninth. Yes. What is humming? Yeah. Um, so he's he's like fascinated with with human beings, specifically Shinji, and it seems as though his sadness. He's drawn to the sadness in Shinji, which he has quite a bit to give. <laughs> he is. He's like old faithful in Yellowstone. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> like Vesuvius. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, that, that's a winning (laughs) combination there. Um, (laughs) if I'm not mistaken, he's also considered the 17th angel, right? Yes, who's Tapris, yeah. Yeah, and, um, as I do my due diligence as the official angel researcher around here, um, he is actually the, the angel of free will. Um, so I guess it goes back to what we were talking about before. Sneaky is, bastards did it again. Yep, they sure did. So, you know, and he talks about choosing choosing life, choosing death. So, appropriate. Yeah, um, there's actually this quick little excerpt um, in the Chronicle on Kyler's interpersonal uh, relationships here. Um, so as power was revealed as an angel um you know he was sent there by zila 
you know, start their plans. But, quote, when he saw the pain and inner struggle in Shinji's eyes upon discovering the truth, Kaora willingly offered up his life to Shinji. This act of having his life ended by his friend Shinji was symbolic of Kaora's desire for humanity to choose the path of life. In those last moments, it seemed to be Kaora's sincere wish that humans continue to exist. And obviously that goes against every other angel that we've seen up until that point. Right. Trying a new strategy after 16 tries. Yeah, and I and in, you know, I'm sure you could contest this, but I, you know, in the, I mean, you can try, but um, the, it says it here in the book, so you'd, you'd be wrong. But his feelings for Shinji were sincere. They weren't, you know, fake just to get, mm-hmm. get through to him or to manipulate him or anything. No, he seemed genuinely drawn to him, and um, yeah, it's. I mean, we we talked about that relationship too, and I and I think that there was there was a deep connection there, and, and very quickly, very early on. Um, it was and, love at first sight. Yeah, you know, rainbows and butterflies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Shinji needed that. He needed to feel that. He needed that experience, and I think in a way. Kaoru might have known that and knew what his choice would be. But that's just my take, our take. If you want to give your take, you know where you can find us. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it before, but we do have an email address for those of you out there who do the email. You can find us at fullimpactspodcast at gmail.com. Yes, send us all the internet internet letters. Yeah, your your takes. We'd love to hear them. I mean, or your disagreements with us because Nick would love to hear me. So that's true. <laughs> You'd make one of us happy, that's for sure. I wish that we had seen more of Kyler. I really do. Yeah, it's he he makes a huge impact in a very short amount of time, which just shows what type of character he is. Yeah, legend. <laughs> Um, All right, I got one last question. It's sort of a doozy, but kind of all roads led here. Um, The Instrumentality Project. What's your take? Well, let's break down that. And if, if, if anyone's listening and still a little iffy on what does that mean, what happens with it, let's talk about it. So we're going to talk about instrumentality um, as a concept, and then we're going to talk about the different possibilities um, of the third impact um, that could have happened in End of Ava Gilling. So with instrumentality, all of Lilith's souls, all the human souls, would be gathered into Lilith's egg, also known as the Black Moon, and they would be united as a single existence. Uh, creating a state of being where no individual existed. And it's not, it wouldn't be, and this is again, I believe from Avigis, to call a conglomerate would be false. It's one single existence where no concept of individualism. So you don't know where one person starts and another begins. You're all one. Um, you're all, your souls are all the, and you're where your faults are. Um, someone else's strengths fills in that gap and vice versa. So there's no pain and there's no suffering. None of that. No ego. No ego. Ego boundary out the wall, out the window. 
Yeah. That's what happens with instrumentality. You basically okay. go back to the primordial soup. Um, now, as for what you do after that point, it depends on who you're looking at here. So, for the angels, their third impact would result if they made contact with Adam or Lilith. Either one. But either, obviously, um, none of them succeeded. Right. Um, this is very straightforward. Zila's third impact was to initiate it with human instrumentality. They would use anti-AT fields, which are what the mass-produced AVAs created using their S2 engines, to destroy everyone's AT field. Because everyone in the world has an AT field. It's what keeps us together. And, you know, it's like the boundary to our hearts and souls. It's very weak, but we all have one. So that would get eliminated, and that would turn us into LCL, freeing our souls. Then, like I said, they would collect them into the Adam slash Lilith hybrid um, with the egg or with the moon. Moon. With the moon. Um, and they would they would achieve this using a combination of the mass-produced Avas, the spears of Longinus that they made, um, and then either Lilith or Unit 1. Um, we asked for what they would do after that point, it gets a little bit iffy on if they simply wanted to, they thought that that single existence was a form of higher evolution where there's no pain, or if they wanted to kind of reset humanity in hopes that um, it'll turn out better the second time. Yeah, but <laughs> if you if you go back to that concept that Gendo talked about um, with the angel that was the like microcomputers mm -hmm. um, that was trying to hack the Magi. Yeah, the virus. Yeah, and they said that you know the way that they defeated it is by um, progressing its evolution, basically. And, and then that theory, like, the end point of evolution is death itself. Right. Um, and so if you take that, then becoming the single existence is kind of the end of evolution where you are, you're complete. You know, there's no, there's nowhere better to go, Tech, like, depending on how you look at it. Mm -hmm. um, and then another way of looking at it is that they wanted to implant their souls, uh, Zila souls, into the Evangelians and wield godlike powers themselves. But um, seeing as their plans were foiled, we don't really know which one exactly they were going for. So pure speculation. Yeah. Now, then there's Gendo's version of Third Impact. Um, obviously, his goal is just to reunite Reunite with Yui, whose soul is inside Ava 1, using Rei, who is the vessel of Lilith's soul. Um, so he would use Rei, he would also use Lilith, the body, the Adam embryo in his hand, and Unit 1. And his plan was to reunite with uh, inside Unit 1, um, but his plan doesn't, doesn't use any of the mass-produced Avas. And 
honestly, the whole concept of instrumentality as a whole may not have really been too important to him either. Just as just kind of used it as a figurehead, mm-hmm. um, so that he could get to where he wanted to be. But um, obviously, his plan is also foiled because of Ray. Mm-hmm. And because of choice. I think that's that's another kind of concept that it runs through this whole show is that, you know, there is a choice always. Um, I, I think that there is some merit to some of these thoughts, you know, like it, thinking about what it would be like to just be in a just a state of non-existence, you know, non-ego, everything just is just blended together. Um, although that would be very uneventful, what kind of existence would that really be? Um, on the flip of that, to say that, you know, you save a race of people from suffering and hurt and despair and you're nothing but in a pure state of, you know, goodness... Is that really wrong? And is the other way wrong? Who knows? Or if you're doing it for selfish reasons, like Gendo, your end goal is to just reunite with one person. You don't give a fuck about the rest of the world. You just want to make yourself happy. And I think <laughs> that kind of sums up what a lot of like organized religion is. Like, which which route do you go there? <laughs> do you think there's something better? Do you think there's nothing? And what are you going to do about it? Yeah, and I think that, you know, the comparison between instrumentality and, um, like, escapism or being consumed by fictional worlds and places is, um, you know, justified in that they're, they're not... Sure, they might be warm and comforting and nice to be in, but they're not reality. They're not real. And I think that that's that's the main the main point there, and that's what Shinji, you know, ends up deciding in the end when he rejects instrumentality and you know, everyone is able to make the decision themselves if they want to go back and um, rejoin their body and live on Earth or stay in the moon as just a uh, you know some soup <laughs> yeah but ultimately it's your choice right unless you're in this world in which case it's Shinji's <laughs> choice <laughs> true <laughs> lying out <God> here <laughs> good one thanks <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get one in there so I appreciate it um yeah i mean that's that's a big the human instrumentality i think people probably had a lot of you know questions about that what everybody's intention was i think you know um it's it's good to kind of revisit some of these bigger themed issues um rather than you know some of the play-by-play we we had done in our previous season um that's that's all i got question wise is there anything you got for me um or anything else you'd like our listeners to know? Well, we're I believe we're going to talk about individual characters more later on, so I won't bring anything up for that. Um, 
I guess in terms of things that might still be somewhat iffy, perhaps. Um, let me see here. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not really seeing anything. I know. I we did a lot of coverage here. We covered a lot of bases. I think instrumentality was, is usually the big one. Yeah. Trips people up. I, I would agree. That's why I saved that one for last, just to make sure it made an impact. <laughs> oh, God. And I'm hoping that after listening to this, you know, what happens in any of Evangelion isn't so fuzzy anymore. Um, obviously, there's a lot of art in there and a lot of symbols and stuff that you're wondering, you know, what does this mean and what's happening? Um, but I think this episode in combination with our coverage of EOE is pretty comprehensive. Yeah. And if you're still wondering, you know, email us. You know, it would make our day, our week, possibly our months. To hear it's from you. It's nothing I like more than talking about <laughs> human instrumentality. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so definitely, if you guys want to talk about it, reach out to us. You know where to find us. So, uh, next, let's talk about next episode, unless anything else you want to cover. Uh, if you're wondering, we are getting to the rebuild series i know i've had some people ask about that um we're getting there as soon as we can um mine is just chilling in the blu-ray player ready to go um uh co-host which i shall not be named does not have a copy yet and so she's waiting on that um but as soon as she wants to you know get that copy we can get going bad fan bad fan (laughs) (laughs) but we have some other goodies um in store that she'll tell you about but one thing is that i don't have a date for it but we are going to be having a little special guest um from another evangelion podcast joining us i won't mention which one yet but we will be with like minds and so that's something that you're not going to want to miss bonus episode number three yeah coming at you early in the season too but we'll have Um, more details Yes. So uh, going forward, what we're going to give you guys is some character analyses of some of our characters, Um, all of our characters, really, all the main ones we'd like to hit. Um, Obviously, the first we're going to cover is the first one to show up in our show. That would be one Shinji Shinji Akari. so yeah, we'll we'll pick them apart and put them back together, and hopefully you will be along for the ride. Um, as always, please submit your questions, opinions, emails, suggestions that you would like to know from us or say to us. Who knows? We may read it here on the cast. Maybe we'll have you as a guest. We would love, love, love the feedback. Um, And a huge thank you to everyone out there listening, subscribing, rating us. We really appreciate it. It's kind of crazy. I know that we have listeners all across the world, which makes us super, super happy. So thank you very much. Um, We hope that you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as we enjoy making it. I am one of your hosts, Allison, and with me 
as always, is the profoundly loyal Nick. Yeah, I'll give you that one. <laughs> You're right. I also want to give a shout out to everyone listening into Australia because I don't know, we got a huge base there, and I'm really? doing it. Right on. Down under. Down under. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a place I've always wanted to visit. I, it's got to be amazing there. Mm, big bugs. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think it would be cool. snakes. Scary <laughs> things in the water. Kangaroos. Come on. Yeah. To see like a I want to get kicked in the chest by a kangaroo and die. <laughs> you wouldn't die. You would just because get very, very Jack badly got hurt. Mad at me. <laughs> It would be a fun trip, trust me. Just a few days. No outback stuff, just all, you know. Australia light. Step on a stonefish? I don't know. <laughs> Sounds great. And maybe we maybe the Hemsworth brothers better, are listening. Better bring your shotgun for the spiders. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Alrighty. Alright. Well, until next time. Until next time.